Hello, thank you for tuning in to Squabbles of the Soil, the podcast produced by students of MTSU's Agricultural Debate and Discussion course. Let's dig into some of the most controversial topics in ag today. None of these views reflect Middle Tennessee State University's beliefs as a whole. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Squabbles of the Soil. My name is Liz Smith, and I'll be your host as we explore the topic of biofuels. Why are they so controversial? Is it the subsidies, environmental concerns, or the effects they may have on engines in our cars and farm equipment? Let's find out. Today, I've lined up two guests, Dr. Daniel Chokos of Pennsylvania State University and Dr. Jason DeCoff, Extension Professor and Program Leader with the College of Agriculture at Tennessee State University. Let's see what they have to say about this controversial topic in ag. So do you think that biofuels are more sustainable than fossil fuels? Yeah, definitely, because with biofuels, what you're doing is you're essentially recapturing some of the, the CO2 um, that is is given off. So if you are to uh, burn a biofuel in a vehicle, let's say it's going to produce CO2, and then that CO2 is recaptured by a plant, and then that plant, presumably, if it's a, if it's a bioenergy type of crop, it's going to be reused to produce that fuel again. So it's you know, it's it's kind of a, a closed cycle in a way, um, whereas with oil and fossil fuels, um, it just takes so long to, you know, for um, the CO2 that's produced from, from those fossil fuels to become a fossil fuel again. It takes, you know, geological time to be able to do that. So in, in that case, it's not really renewable. So you believe that they are better for the environment in terms of greenhouse gas emissions as well? Yes, it definitely keeps us from using fossil fuels. So if we're able to use biofuels instead, we're not converting all of that stored carbon, which are found in fossil fuels, into the atmosphere, which causes an increase in the overall concentrations of CO2. From your perspective, there's no question that biofuels are more sustainable than fossil fuels. Well, I I wouldn't go that far. To say that I would say that they are more sustainable if it's done well, mm-hmm. but they are less sustainable if it's done poorly. You know, like so many things in life, it's 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 more a matter of how good of a job you do rather than whether you pick one thing or another. Think of uh, going to the restaurant. You know, probably all of the dishes in the restaurant could be really good or really terrible, depending on whether they're prepared well. Uh, and it's the same thing with biofuels and, and, and a lot of renewable energy uh, options and concepts. It comes down to whether we do it well. And, and that's why it's really important to be doing research, uh, education and outreach, and, and helping people understand what the important issues are so that they can make the best uh, decisions based on their understanding and, and what they know is, is good for themselves, for their families, for their community. Yeah, some opponents of um, biofuels have really criticized the industry for the water use. I think things have gotten better with the dry milling technique, but what can farmers do to make these products more sustainable? Well, I think uh, 
I think there are a lot of things that, that we look at traditionally um, just in our, our basic agricultural production systems. We usually try to reduce the amount of nutrients that are that are required. We try to reduce the amount of water that's needed um, in Tennessee. We don't have to irrigate as much as other states. And so the water requirement isn't isn't as high in, in our area. What are some more sustainable types of biofuels? Do you think algae, uh, bio waste, do those have some potential uh, commercially? Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of the the waste products probably do because there's not really a, a cost in creating them. Whereas if you're you know creating a crop or growing a crop um, or growing algae, you know there's a cost with with growing that material and then producing the fuel from it. Whereas waste products, they're just there. Um, yeah, they're free. Already. Yeah, they're free. And so um, taking and, and converting that into a fuel makes makes pretty good sense. Now, of course, when you're talking about waste products, there is the the concern and, and folks have to be careful about any sort of contamination or, or anything like that um, from maybe heavy metals or, or other types of things that might be in some of those wastes. But all in all, I think that that's a that's a good option for for biofuels. Yeah, contamination has been a problem for the petroleum industry, and I understand that ethanol has decreased the need for MTBE, which was a really nasty additive, um, maybe an octane booster. So mm -hmm. ethanol has decreased the need for that. Are there some other benefits to making um, a better fuel? Well, if we were to take a, a situation like uh, with biodiesel, for instance, you know, so that can be used instead of re regular diesel in our, our diesel engines. So um, with something like that, that fuel is actually, um, uh, it's, it's not very flammable. Um, it's relatively non-toxic. Um, so comparatively to the, the regular diesel fuels that we use already, um, that's a huge benefit as well. Do you think that the public opinion is going to change? Because I think there are some negative conceptions or misconceptions about biofuels. People don't want to put it in their cars or I don't, they don't want to be paying uh, to mm -hmm. put the bill for the subsidies. I think there's some negative thought processes about that. Are people going to change? Yeah, well, that all comes with, with education. That's one of the things that we do uh, in the Cooperative Extension Program. Um, we provide that kind of education and we provide um, a lot of uh, assistance with, um, with helping people to kind of understand how some of these things work and understand the need for them. Um, but at the same time, it's not necessarily saying that, you know, that everything's going to change dramatically overnight. Um, it's definitely a process that, that needs to take place. Do you have any thoughts on the renewable fuel standard? Do you think that's hurting or helping the consumers by taking away some freedom of choice there? Well, I think the renewable fuel standard is important. Uh, it, again, it's, it's kind of a, an incentive where, you know, we need to make sure that we have a certain amount of biofuels that we're producing on an annual basis. Um, and so if you look at the, the energy consumption in the US, you'll see that it's predominantly um, fossil fuel. Um, and one of the things that's, that's critical for our energy security is to be able to have a diversity of different types of energy sources that we, right. that we need to use. You're not just relying on one thing. Yeah, because anytime, anytime we've got, you know, a war in Ukraine or we've got a hurricane, you know, those those gas prices shoot up. And so 
if we had something else that we could use instead, um, especially during those periods, you know, that's going to be a benefit to the consumer. Um, if you think, well, if it's a viable industry, why, why does it rely so heavily on subsidies? Well, I think uh, as with anything, there's there's always, you know, some resistance to change. And so in those cases, we have to provide some incentives to be able to get people to um, to try something out, to try something new or to try something different. Um, a lot of times with with certain things, you have to restructure the the actual infrastructure that's that's used to um, to carry the fuel or to utilize the fuel if it's something that's very different. And so there are needs for that. Um, but of course, you know, the, the oil industry itself has its own types of subsidies that, that it gets as well. So I think, I think it's all, you know, it's all part of, you know, the process. What do you think is next for biofuels um, with the electric vehicles? We're having some changes there. Where's the industry going to go to keep up? Yeah, I think there's always going to be um, an opportunity for, um, for biofuels to be used. Um, I think a lot of times we're looking at um, now we're, we're looking at third generation and fourth generation type biofuels that are just kind of drop in fuels where there's, um, you know, it's a it's a it's a little bit different sort of process to, to make those types of biofuels. But I think that they're um, they definitely have a place that can fit in with existing systems that we already have. So um, there's some better technology coming. Yeah, there's definitely some some better technology that's being used to produce biofuels, um, and there's better technology, um, you know, once we've got the fuels to be able to to use them in our vehicles. Back in June of 2022, this year, the House passed a bipartisan bill called the Lower Food and Fuel Costs Act. That's going to allow year-round sales of 15% ethanol fuel. And it's also supposed to provide funding for the biofuels infrastructure. Um, can you touch on what needs to happen from the infrastructure end to, to make these products available? In terms of 15% ethanol, not every gas station has pumps that will provide that. So um, people that want to fill up, they sometimes can't get that uh, where, where they are. Uh, and so there are actually several states have been pretty active in trying to support and help gas stations convert their, their pumps over so that there are more options available for people that want to have a higher percentage of ethanol and renewable fuel in, the, in, their, in their fuel. That's one of the, the biggies uh, there in terms of making that possible. Um, so the typical gasoline that people purchase is uh, no more than about 10% ethanol. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you want to be able to sell 15% ethanol, you either need a separate tank that has gasoline at that higher blend, or you need to be able to mix in a little bit of ethanol and have that come out of a separate hose. You know, they'll, they'll always use a separate hose that's labeled separately so that it, people don't accidentally get the, the wrong type of, of fuel if they want one kind or another. Okay, that, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how, how would that affect the blender's credit? I never considered blending occurring at a gas station, but I understand there's this, um, the ethanol blenders have this excise tax credit of 45 cents 
per gallon of ethanol that they blend with the gas. Um, how would that affect them? Right. So that blender's credit, like you said, that all happens kind of at the wholesale level before it gets to the gas station. Uh, and so uh, the assumption is that any ethanol that shows up at the gas station is sold as fuel, whether it's whether it's uh, part of the uh, 10% ethanol mm -hmm. standard gasoline or a, a E15, what they sometimes call unleaded 88 because of its higher octane rating, or uh, the, the flex fuel, which can be up to 85% right. ethanol. Uh, and so it doesn't necessarily have to, you don't necessarily have to take into account uh, any uh, mixing that's happening at the gas station, uh, because that's kind of already accounted for upstream in the system. Okay. Are farmers able to take advantage of some of these subsidies as well? Um, in, in what way? What do you mean by that? Well, like, could a farmer get a tax break for growing a biofuel, or is it just the blenders and the kind of the petroleum companies who are benefiting? Right. Okay. Yeah, great question. So, um, well, the, the way that then benefits the farmer is that the, the blender is getting that uh, money, which allows them to pay more money to the ethanol refinery, which allows them to pay a higher price to the farmer who's, who's providing the corn or the feedstock for the ethanol production. So it does kind of trickle back, uh, but it's not as a direct payment to the farmer. Okay, so it's going to provide an yeah. indirect benefit. Yeah, that makes sense. And as you mentioned earlier, there are some environmental concerns. You know, you said when you're doing things right, or maybe you're not doing things right. Um, some things, erosion, the high water use. But I do understand that the water use has decreased by maybe 40% due to the dry milling technology. Can you explain that to our listeners? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not uh, a big expert on, on milling technologies, but, uh, but the idea here is that, of course, it's just as the name implies, when you're going to be uh, grinding up that corn uh, to be used in a biofuel plant, uh, you can grind it up while it's dry, or you can mix it with water into kind of a slurry, uh, and uh, that softens it up. Uh, and so that it doesn't take as much energy to grind it. Uh, but as you said, you end up uh, using water uh, and creating more liquid, you know, water waste that has to be treated and dealt with in the process. So, so a lot of uh, ethanol producers are sticking to a dry uh, uh, process for, for grinding. Uh, and they're doing a lot of things to try to improve the efficiency uh, because that makes their, their overall operation more more profitable. And so this is one situation where the, the competition and, and the desire for being more profitable is actually pushing greater efficiency, uh, which is often translating into uh, a better energy footprint and also a better carbon footprint for these operations. Yeah, from what I've read, it the industry has come a long way, and it's there's been some positive changes there. Yeah, right, but a lot of the concern is still stands about the overall effect on the landscape of having all this corn growing. How much fertilizer are we using? Are we contributing to to erosion? 
erosion and loss of soil mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. Uh, and, and those are those are real issues. Those are real uh, challenges, um, and, and they're worth considering and thinking about. Um, now, uh, against the backdrop of that, farmers are also getting better uh, at their ability to produce corn and wheat and, and the various crops that they grow. And so they are producing more on less land than they, than they have in the past. Uh, and so that is balancing out a little bit of the increased demand for corn, for, for, for ethanol. Uh, but I think we still have to be very careful about thinking about what's happening in the big picture. So you believe that, some, um, for example, the nitric oxide emissions from fertilizer and even concerns like deforestation because of um, conversion to farmland, do you believe those are valid concerns against biofuels? Oh, yeah, definitely. They're, they're, they're valid concerns. Uh, we just have to make sure that we're being fair in our in, in looking at the issue. Mm -hmm. you know, it's so easy. I, I don't know if you ever go to a, a museum or something and you see a mosaic, which is just a beautiful picture made out of little pieces of something else. Uh, and I often think of that, uh, that when we argue, we often take pieces of information and we form them into some sort of a picture that we want. But we could have taken those pieces of information and formed a completely different picture as well, kind of like a mosaic. You can create lots of different pictures out of the same starting point. And we have to be very careful about being fair in, in, in looking at these, these issues, not ignoring the problems, uh, but not ignoring the uh, opportunities and the positives as well. Well, hopefully we're doing a little bit of that today so people can get some more facts. And I think just one final question. Um, since you're an expert on the thermochemical conversion, I thought you could maybe explain to our listeners um, the way that ethanol can oxygenate the fuel and maybe boost the octane number. I've heard that NASCAR uses it. My understanding is that the um, regular fossil fuels are made up of hydrogen and carbon atoms, but ethanol contains over 30% oxygen. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's one of the interesting things about ethanol as a fuel uh, that frustrates some people and gets other people really excited about it. Ethanol, that molecule, has quite a bit of oxygen in it. Uh, and and for, for some engineers, that's a frustration because that that ethanol, that oxygen molecule, uh, excuse me, the oxygen atoms represent space that could be used by energy containing carbons or hydrogens. Uh, and so ethanol has less energy in it per gallon or per liter than, than gasoline, for example, because okay. of all that oxygen. But all that oxygen also helps it burn, uh, burn better. Uh, uh, and it also um, uh, allows us to not have to be putting in other additives, oxygenating additives, uh, that can often be very, very toxic and, and, and dangerous. So, so there are some potential ecological benefits there if we're spilling gasoline that has ethanol in it. it it's probably less dangerous than the gasoline of 20 years ago uh, that was using some other additives that can be pretty, pretty scary if they get into the water. The other interesting thing that you alluded to is the octane number. Now, uh, the octane number in fuel, that's a measure of its resistance to ignition when it's combined.
compressed. Uh, and, and so, so the reason NASCAR people are excited about the high octane value of ethanol is that means they can really compress the ethanol vapors in the engine, and they can get what's called a high compression ratio in their their, their race car engines, and that means they're going to get more power out of the same size engine. So if you're racing, that's really important uh, for them. Uh, and so and so that's because that ethanol molecule is more stable than the, the mixture of a variety of different hydrocarbons that's in typical gasoline. Typical gasoline, there are some things in there that are just more likely to accidentally start combusting when it's compressed. And that's uh, when that happens, you get things called engine knock, for example. And it used to be a, a much bigger issue with, with cars. They would start to ping and knock, uh, and uh, they needed extra additives to kind of help help that not happen. And so ethanol acts as a octane booster in fuel so that it tends to run more smoothly in engines. That's pretty neat. Um, however, ethanol is water soluble, which could create issues with rust. And I'm, I think mainly it's that kind of seasonal lawn equipment that you're sitting in the shed for a few months every year. And that's when things can go wrong. Yeah, absolutely, and that's certainly something we've seen. When, when ethanol started to be added to most fuels, uh, we started to see a real uptick in issues with these small engines uh, that were stored. And there's still a lot of talk and, and you know, sort of a little bit of disagreement as to what's, what, why that's been an issue, and I think there may have been more than one issue that was coming to the fore because of that, but, but what seems to be happening often is if you have a, a tank of fuel that sits around for, for a lot, even though ethanol and gasoline mix together very well, if, there's, if it's sitting still for a long period of time, they can just start to separate out a little bit, you know, kind of like a, a salad dress, how you get water and vinegar separating quickly. That can happen with ethanol and the gasoline, but just very, very slowly. Uh, and when that happens, if there's any water that was is, is in the fuel, it will stay mixed very nicely in in the ethanol portion, but the gasoline portion, you'll start to get water separating out there, uh, and, and that's when you start to get issues with, with rust and, and other kind of uh, kinds of challenges. And so that's why it's often in the off season uh, that that things happen. Uh, We've seen a lot of people have adjusted to that uh, in terms of using additives, especially in the off season and in the winter for the fuels. And, and people seem to have uh, started to basically do what you're always supposed to do with your lawnmower and your snowblower and things like that. But folks have maybe gotten away with not being as careful about using winterizing and, and, and storage additives uh, in their in their tanks. The other thing to keep in mind is that. Really, really old cars uh, tend to use—they they tended to use some older types of rubber in the, the seals and the hoses and things like that that aren't quite as good for for ethanol. So, if you have a classic car or a really, really old vehicle, you also want to be a little careful about using gasoline that has a high percentage of ethanol. Can you explain um, why it can have a detrimental effect on the tubes and hoses and anything else made from rubber? Um, well, it, it's just that the uh, 
ethanol uh, tends to dissolve the rubber, so you start getting leaks, uh, uh, where, whereas you hadn't been having leaks before. Uh, whether it's the seals or the hoses that you see, the hoses starting to go go bad. Uh, it's, a, it's a type of rubber that's called Buna, B-U-N-A. That was, a, that was a common type of rubber used for seals in engines as, as well as some hoses. Uh, and uh, now, nowadays, it's not, it's not been used in cars for a while now. Okay. So, uh, it's, it's generally not something to worry about unless you really have a, a classic antique sort of a vehicle. And I also I also heard that the, the newer engines have technology where it can adjust to a rich or lean fuel mixture. So it's it sounds like it's better adapted for the biofuels and the ethanol. Yeah, that's right. So so they'll have some uh, sensors that will adjust the amount of air coming in. You know, the, the air to fuel ratio and things like that. Whereas older cars that might be carbureted and things like that is not quite as uh, adaptable to that kind of thing. So how did you get interested in biofuels? I got interested in in biofuels and energy um, from my work actually in South Africa. I spent four years uh, living and working in South Africa uh, and uh, at a university there teaching and, and we would do some outreach activities uh, on, on a variety of topics and one of the topics that was uh, very popular there was biodiesel uh, and so so we had some nice actually biodiesel was first developed in in africa uh, as a way for producing and making fuel available for tractors in regions where where they didn't have access to uh, fossil fuel diesel fuel uh, and so so anyway there, there's a there's a lot going on in, in that area down there and we we did some outreach types of programs, bringing people together. And that really was the start of my, my interest in uh, energy production. I'd always been interested in energy efficiency on the farm from my background uh, with buildings and doing some research on farm buildings, uh, greenhouse production, some of those uh, different things that can be done on the farm that are pretty energy intensive, so it's important to do them efficiently. Uh, and then I got started to get really uh, interested and excited about the energy production side as well. So that when I came back to Pennsylvania, which is where I'm originally from, mm-hmm. uh, and I took this job at Penn State, uh, I started working both in energy efficiency as well as energy production. So uh, biofuels is not just a solution for rich countries who have access to technology and the funds to make it work. Yeah, not not at all. And you know, quite frankly, it's amazing how much more active the research and implementation uh, communities are throughout the world right now, as, as opposed to the United States. As actually, the United States is a little less of a uh, vital environment in, in that respect. Uh, it's really neat to see some of the things that are going on all around the world, often in countries that you wouldn't think, well, can they afford to be doing renewables? And, and the bottom line is they, they can't afford not to be doing renewables because uh, they, they don't have the availability of, of cheap and reliable fossil fuel. And that's always been a huge challenge for, for them in terms of being able to uh, develop the economy and, and create a better quality of life for the, for the people of their country. Do you think a sustainability certification could work for biofuels 
people don't normally know where their feel is coming from, but I've heard that idea tossed around. Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't heard uh, of that idea before, but obviously we use it with with foods. There's a lot of people that are interested in the the local food movement and being able to understand, you know, what farms uh, their their food's coming from. So I could see, you know, that being uh, an incentive for for people if it's got some kind of a labeling on it that you know that makes them feel better about the product that they're purchasing. You think it could work for biofuels too? I think it's a definite possibility. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and for sharing some of your expertise. We really appreciate that. Sure, no problem. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Squabbles of the Soil. Join us again to explore more controversial topics in agriculture. When you think your side is the only side, keep digging.